I'm Annie Fox. And I'm Laurel Pinson. And this is Workwives, conversations at your desk with the woman who knows you best. So before I got out of the house at 3, no, 4.15 on March day, which was what? Saturday. To, to travel to the bus. To travel to the bus. Nash very kindly went to the ATM for me because he made a great point. He made two great points. One, when I when I get locked up, I would need money, A, for the commissary to buy Doritos. <laughs> Correct. And two, I would need money to buy a new, bigger work wife. What? <laughs> yeah, he, he, he essentially said that I would I'd need a new wife in prison because you would not be good enough. That is so brutal. And it's also so brutal that he was lucid enough at 4.15 mm-hmm. to, like, go to the ATM and oh, make yeah. commentary. Joel was kind of like, ugh. Like, I left. He was like, peace. Oh, he handed this roll of 20s to me. <laughs> he looked me in the eye and he was like, woman, two things. Commissary, Doritos. Second thing, Laurel Pinson ain't going to cut it in jail. <laughs> and I was like, you know. I mean... You're he not is a wrong. point. Like he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, I've never been to jail. I've never been. I've never been arrested. I've never been to jail. So you know, I understand that maybe I wouldn't be like the seasoned veteran that you would be looking for in a work wife. Mm. Um, but I am really manipulative. Oh, that's like, I'm, hot. I'm wily. Oh yeah, I'd take that. Like I can kind of like mind fuck. That's people. a slower game. I might have to get a stopgap wipe. Yeah, you need a stopgap wipe. It's sl- yeah, it is. It's a, a slow burn. It's a slow burn. It's a slower game. Like, but it lasts. Oh yeah. I mean, you rule with that sort of mental tyranny for life. Like for that's, life. Yeah. Maybe I'd just be like better for long stints in prison. Like if you went away to do like some real time, <laughs> I would definitely be a good ally okay. in prison. Right. But I think I'll for a short know. stint, if you're just looking for muscle, I'm not there yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. You've been working on it? I've been working out. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. seen it. I've okay. seen it. All right. Did Joel and the Nugget send you off? Were they like, <laughs> Did, I you mean, go out there and do the good deeds, mom? I think they definitely were. Joel was very supportive. Nugget was Nugget. Like, he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> He's like, do-do-do-do-do. Mom's here. She's not here. It's fine. I actually think what was interesting was that I don't think Joel had completely grasped, like, the gravity of the situation until the next morning. Like, he sort of was mainstream America maybe where you know I went he was very like I want to support you like reading up on it but he wasn't like trolling Twitter during the day and sending me notes being like oh my gosh I see it's this many people how are you doing he was (laughs) sending me g-chats periodically that's like you know what time is that plumber coming on Tuesday (laughs) you know or like can you call this guy about the cabinet hardware you know and I was like listen babe I'm on a bus like I'm gonna get back to you you know I'm doing some things I'm doing some things to his credit he was like you're spending five hours on a bus each way (laughs) like you could make a phone call you know could you just help me out on this thing it really wasn't until the next morning you know we sort of woke up and we were like having coffee and he was kind of like holy shit you know he obviously said he was really proud of me which was very nice I think it's really nice to have just a partner in general that's sort of like I was really proud of you for going and that supports you in extracurricular activities mm-hmm. like these but especially since I'm gonna like live in a household of dudes my life you know my family is dudes oh, I got yeah. two two dudes yeah two dudes two dudes I mean who knows what Henry will end up being well true true he can be whatever he wants maybe I don't end up in a household of two dudes true, forever true. but it was nice sort of in the interim to be that supported Although he didn't give me a roll of 20s or anything. Well, yeah, because you don't need to buy a new work wife if you get thrown in jail. Look at me. <laughs> but what if we got separated? I, would I mean, fi- I'd w- find you. Oh, I would. That's Leonardo like- DiCaprio, that shit. And I would Daniel find Daniel Day-Lewis and Last oh. of the Mohicans. Don't you oh. bring up that, but you know oh. that's my favorite. 
That is my favorite. Girl, dude, we are going to have to. Like, dude. I can't watch that movie with other people. Whew. All right, yeah. so let's talk about the actual march. Yeah. We got there. But yeah, we got there. Like, 11, you know, went in and from start to finish, you know, was so impressed by how freaking nice everybody was. Yeah. Like, the hordes of people in these subway stations. I mean, let's be clear. I don't like crowds. Number one. I mean, my favorite sign was the sign that was like, you know, it's bad when introverts are here. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yes. yes. Like, I will not even go and get food from somewhere if my street looks busy. <laughs> I would rather starve than go out on the street when my neighbor is out there. I want to see her so I don't have to you, go interact exactly. with people. And we interacted with 500,000 people. Yeah. That's In nuts. very close proximity. Oh, yeah. oh people together. were touching me. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, yeah. we had moments where we would sort of get wedged all together and then be like, I guess we're not moving. Like, you couldn't move. But I wasn't scared. Like, I didn't get the sort of panic that's like, oh, my God, we're all wedged together. What are we going to do? People were, like, sharing peanut PBJ sandwiches. I had Cheez-Its for the first time. <laughs> like, it was – I did. I had Cheez-Its. Someone was like, would you like a Cheez-It? You look hungry. And I was like, yeah, I would like Cheez-It. Thank you. I remember I was on the train, and the train was really, really packed because, yes, I mean, everybody's getting on the public transit to just sort of wedge their way into the center of D.C. And there was one woman who was sort of looking a little, like, flushed. And the woman next to her was sort of like, oh, are you getting anxiety? I have some, like, interesting breathing and meditation techniques that I can teach you if you want. And I was just like, oh my God! Like, this march is incredible! Like, it was just so... In terms of setting the tone for what, like, several million people getting out and rallying together in solidarity should look like, basically like that. Let me teach you a nice meditation technique on the subway if you get stressed. Exactly. Let me share with you a peanut butter sandwich. You seem hungry. Exactly. Yep. One of the things that really impressed me, um, I thought a lot about, A, the fact that I don't get out and do things very often. I mean, I order seamless. You know, we are introverts. I do a lot on digital media. Um, but uh, I, you know, donate a lot of money. But a lot of what impressed me was the sort of renewed importance, at least to me, of being in a place with your body. Yeah. Like having your actual body in a place um, felt very real. And like there's a sense of being counted in a march that size, if you're there with your body, that's very different from like if you signed a digital petition and like 16 million people also signed this digital petition. It's just a very different feeling and much more powerful. But also the feeling of being like my body packed in with all of these other bodies really gave me a sense of how inclusive the march was. Like I loved the idea of being really tightly in tight physical space with all these people who were supporting a cause but weren't all like women who looked like me you know yep exactly and I think it's something that you don't think about before you do it I think there are a lot of people certainly lots of friends of mine that wanted to do something but didn't feel like maybe it made sense to them to go to the march like oh, I'm just one person maybe it makes more sense for me to spend the money instead of spending it on getting to Washington to donate it or like Mm -hmm. what is one more body in the sea of bodies you know, really do. And I think besides being counted, I think that's really important. I think you're right. You, it, it just adds to the this beautiful, diverse picture that you don't think of until you're there in a sea of 500,000 different women and, mm-hmm. and men. Yeah. And we're all different. Yeah. But generally speaking, I just thought I, I loved being surrounded by that many people who were supporting a women's cause, even if they weren't 
just like Joe, a hetero chick that looks like me. I think one thing that actually being a part of this really big group got me thinking about is something that we actually talk about a lot at work also, which is the idea of sort of who is part of the tribe or the sort of broader tribe of this you know, women's movement. Because a lot of people say, and rightly, that there's this tension in womanhood, womankind, in that many women voted for Trump, especially many white women voted for Trump, and so would have sort of opposing belief systems to a lot of the women who attended the march. And so it got me thinking a lot about the sort of women's movement less as just women specifically and more as sort of a broad tribe with a obviously a progressive agenda, but one that sort of supports women's issues and is really focused on equal rights. It helped me in thinking about it that way because the truth is looking at the variety of people at the march, it was not based on anatomy. You know what I mean? Like anatomy was not the distinguishing factor for who counted at the march. Well, neither, neither, certainly neither was gender or identity, right? Exactly. Like there were plenty of people that didn't identify as a woman that was there to support. You know, or plenty of people who might not have had a uterus, but certainly identified as a woman. Right. You know what I mean? There was such a, it was such a mix. And it actually made some of the signage, weirdly, a little bit problematic once I got there. Like, obviously, there was, you know, it's a women's march. So there's a lot of signs that are like, my uterus, my agenda. You know, fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were a lot of people at the march who didn't have a uterus or a vagina. But who also, you know, either identified as women and wanted to be counted um, as part of our number or were just straight up dudes who were just there to support, which was kind of amazing. And I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier about why it's so important to be there. A, to be counted, of course, and and B, obviously, because of representation and diversity and, and all of those things. But also because those sorts of conversations can only happen if you're there. If right. you're there to learn from each other and say, you know, yeah, I'm carrying a uterus sign, but now that I've had this conversation with you, you know what? I totally feel differently about that. Exactly. And that has blown my mind and has made me think of this march and this movement and even my identity as a woman very differently. I read there's a quote and, you know, I don't know who to attribute this to, but it says that you don't necessarily march to change the world. You march to change yourself. And I That's certainly great. felt like participating in it was a sort of self-changing experience. That experience alone has definitely changed how I feel about the women's movement broadly and who I identify as being part of my tribe. I definitely caught myself in moments feeling incredibly privileged that we could march the way we did Mm -hmm. and not be hassled. Yes. And not be like, I think what we said at at the beginning about there just being this inherent kindness and politeness is true of the attendees, absolutely, but Mm -hmm. was also true of the of the police of the you know military patrol all the you know the, mm-hmm. the, the staff at the MTA all the things that we mentioned earlier and i think that that is a privilege and oh, that is absolutely. A, for sure and and i i think that there are countless other marches and movements that have started with the same intention and certainly with the same kindness that weren't received in the same way um, and part of that is just that it's maybe like mainstream and a bunch of white people turned up i don't yeah. know I don't but know. i think we were incredibly privileged to have experienced a march like that as peaceful as we as peacefully as we did well and to be honest as like a white woman it makes me it made me wonder or at least start thinking about where i should be putting my actual body to be helping with marches that might not feel maybe as comfortable for me or i might otherwise feel more like an outsider or like i don't belong but it's actually my job to be there to support them absolutely yeah i think that's a great point you know even if you feel a little awkward or if you feel a little bit like oh should i shouldn't i just go yeah you know and like lend your support like that's what solidarity actually is you know like that's a place that might otherwise feel a little uncomfortable for you but you should push yourself and be there
So we are back in New York. We are renewed. We are re-energized. Got a little bit of a flu going on. Yeah, it's like we're both we're both a little tired, <laughs> a little sick, a little tired, but little we're angry laggy. as hell and we're ready to do some things. Yep. Uh, so our uh, news and politics editor Meredith Clark is actually still in D.C. Um, and so we're going to chat with her about what we can do next. Hello. Hey, Meredith. Hi. How are you? How are you holding up? Um, I'm doing well. I have had a long few days down in our nation's capital. So you arrived in D.C. on Thursday, right? Yeah, Ugh. the day before. I know that we certainly, as, as exhausted as we were on the way back on the bus, there was lots of people sort of before we all passed out um, having conversations about what we should be doing next or what we could be doing next because we all, I think, are feeling this renewed sense of kind of like will and desire to participate um, you've just written an article, actually. Tell us a little bit about it, and then let's discuss a little bit about what's next. Well, the article is called The Women's March is Over, but here are six concrete ways you can stay involved. And it lays out, I mean, a couple are extremely specific uh, in terms of organizations doing work that tries to lay out a path for action in a simple way as possible. So the Women's March is kicking off something called 10 Actions 100 Days, so one, once every 10 days, there's going to be a new set of action points, and you can participate if you want. And the first one is writing a postcard, and they even provide the postcard for you. So there's, that's about as basic, and that will be delivered to your senator. They would have to tally it, and imagine what happens if people are getting in the mail thousands of postcards. That stuff does require work, and it means those staffers can't do something else that they might be doing. And it, it shows them that there are, like, constituent service means they, uh, they have to pay attention. And, you know, that connects to calling your legislators, which is another thing. Like, as much as signing a petition or sending an email feels like the easiest, it really doesn't carry as much weight. And if you're an angry person on the phone, the very sweet 22-year-old who's probably never had a job before, but is working as a legislative assistant, is going to just have to sit there and listen to you. And that can be really cathartic in addition to being useful. As a relative novice, I will admit to calling my local legislatures. Um, what, like when you call, people are always saying like, you should call your congressman or call your local office. First of all, what happens when you call a local office? Like, does a human pick up first? Do you get put on hold? Is there usually a wait? That's number one. And number two, what should you actually say? Is it really important for you to basically pick something specific as opposed to just calling and being like, I'm upset because equal rights and change and I'm going to shake my fist in the air? Well, let me so let me start with that one and then I'll kind of walk you through what happens. Um, it's always better to have an issue or um, specific set of talking points that you want to run through because there's probably some sort of database that the office keeps of constituent phone calls or contacts. Mm. So this is to track interest from people in the district about something. So if they're getting a bunch of calls about something related to veterans' issues, then they know that they should be thinking about what kind of legislative action or what kind of local um, support work they can be doing for those people. Or if there are, you know, thousands of calls coming in saying don't defund Planned Parenthood, then if that legislator is a Republican, they might have to reconsider supporting a bill that defunded because they could suddenly be worried about their next election. Mm. So get as specific as possible. Sometimes you can even find scripts online. Mm. Um, there are definitely uh, 
places that will give you, you know, actual details about things. But when it comes down to it, pick two or three think reasons why you think this is really important and that you want to see some action and just explain that. Uh, what happens when you call is uh, a human being will pick up unless their phone lines have been overwhelmed by the public. You would say, I'm a constituent and I'd like to talk to someone about X. Mm. And this is what I'd like to see X representative do. And it seems like it wouldn't be a huge thing to get your opinion logged in a little Excel spreadsheet. But like I said, this takes up time. This means, you know, these people, their job is to be polite and to be receptive to the voters of these districts and these states. So, you know, if every single person has to be answering the phones because they're getting so many calls, that means they can't do anything else. If my representative already supports the cause that I'm calling about, should Mm -hmm. I still call? Um, I think, yeah, still call. And another thing you can do in those cases is sometimes there's even opportunities to call, to make phone calls uh, on behalf of people in swing districts. If your person already supports it, then maybe that's the time when you say, can I afford to write a $20 check to this organization that Mm. does something, that does good work in a place that doesn't have a representative? So maybe if your representative supports Planned Parenthood, maybe you write a check or um, send resources to uh, an abortion access fund in Texas or a you know a food bank in a state that's real that's caught a lot of aid to to low income families because it's not a zero sum game. Meredith, I have a quick question about um, people who aren't either registered voters or citizens like myself who might be undocumented. Can we still pick up the phone and call even though we aren't technically part of the voting constituent? Absolutely. I mean, just because you're not voting for these people doesn't mean that there aren't still things that these representatives are doing for you. And it's important to know, like, you're, you're a part of this country and a part of the society, too. So it's, it's definitely okay. Think about the people who, the young women, men and women who were the dreamers and who were worried or about being deported. Like, not everyone could go to a protest because they were at risk of being detained and then sent to a country they didn't know. But a lot of people did because they recognized these people are, you know, senators and legislators and the Supreme Court all have to think about the laws and how they affect all of us, not just the people who are lucky enough to have uh, citizenship. So aside from getting on the phone or um, handing over cash, what are some other things people can do? Well, I really like to think about the like thinking hyper locally as the best starting point for any of this. It's easy to get caught up in flashy campaigns where we think about these giant clashes over the National Endowment for the Arts or fighting over climate change. I mean, things that are critically important, but that are also very high level and global. You know, even as simple as doing a Google search on something like food pantry and your neighborhood, there are always going to be organizations that are doing extremely, extremely ground level work. And they're always not, they're always struggling for resources. Oftentimes they're struggling for volunteers. And in the end, that's going to have a much bigger impact because you're potentially demonstrably improving someone's life at that moment, which will make your community a better place. And if there's anything, I think that the Women's March and the inauguration and everything that's happened in the last few months proves it's that 
we should all be thinking, spending more time thinking about how we make those changes um, before we get wrapped up in where the whole world is headed mm. and whether or not that's a destruction. Because if you can make someone less hungry or help them get to work on time, that's, that's progress. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it's not sexy, but it's really needed. I mean, I I will say women going to the women's march felt like a an it thing to do, you know, to a certain degree. Like I think it was a very it was a real flashy moment, um but there's a lot of very unflashy work um yeah. that is still really critical. Yeah. But that doesn't say. mean it doesn't have to be fun, you know? Well, for think about, sure. You, know, you can have, you know, you can make it a a thing you do with your friends uh-huh. or, you know, say we're going to go do you know, a few hours of volunteering someplace, and then we'll all go out for a nice dinner. We have to rethink the way that we look at community service work and recognize that this whole question of, like, is it it radical or is it sexy or are we marching and burning bras and and getting in people's faces? I mean, that's all well and good, but it's also not going to create the solidarity that I think a lot of people were concerned wasn't going to come out of the Women's March because we all get to go back to our homes and our jobs, and a lot of people who were at the march and a lot of people who weren't are, you know, have been dealing with serious issues and have to deal with racism and sexism and police brutality and discrimination. You know, those are the places where if you do those, you know, those little things can add up. Thank you so much, Meredith. That was awesome. Yeah. I feel like I have useful places to direct my energy now. And I feel like, you know, exactly what you said, Pins. I was like, we all had this energy with nowhere to direct it, but I feel a little more directed. I know. I know. Little baby steps. Baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps. I was so affected by what she said in terms of just how privileged we really were to have attended a truly peaceful march. I like the idea of sort of stretching your own limits and figuring out what makes you comfortable. I'm kind of excited to like test myself. Like it makes me feel gutsier. I also really like what she said about making it social. Yes. Like get get a buddy, get some wine, Um, reward with wine. Reward with wine. Get a work wife. Get a work wife. We should put our our work with free to action. I think we all should. I think all the work wives out there should. Yeah, all the That's work wives. an easy buddy to pick up. Yeah, it is. And we should certainly put our yeah. money where our After mouth is. After work, we could skip a four glasses of wine down the road and do something. <laughs> do something with an hour and a half. I mean, I signed up for the Women's March 100 Days. So did I. Oh, good. Well, let's... let's so let's, we can partner up. We can partner up. Task number one. Postcards. Postcards. Let's go print out some postcards and write them and put them in the mail together. I think that's it. I'll reward you with a double chip of cookie. Oh, my God. I mean, that's a pretty good reward for just having to do a postcard. (laughs) Workwives is produced by Ben Riskin and Acast. Our associate producer, Katiri Benjamin, keeps the ship afloat. And we have production support from the whole staff at Glamour, including Anna May's line, Lizzie Logan, and Simone Kitchens. And we're recorded right here at Condé Nast Studio in NYC.